Welcome to the Epic Agent Success Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Weaver and Jacoby Kendrick. This podcast is dedicated to newer agents in the business who want the fast track to success. 90% of agents fail in their first year of business. Our goal is to help guide your journey away from the common mistakes most agents make and help you grow and build your business to epic levels you know you're capable of and desire. What's going on, everybody? I want to welcome you to the Epic Agent Success Podcast. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Jerry. And every week, we're coming at you with another episode on how you can have epic success in your business. And so this week, we're going to be talking about probably one of the most important pillars of your business. If you are already doing this, then it's one of the most important. If you're not, it's going to be one that you're going to want to add to your business because it is a constant source of income, no matter how the market is behaving, if it's up or if it's down or whatever else, this is going to be a strategy that you're going to want to use that you're going to want to implement. And what we're going to be talking about is working with investors. And so for myself, this is how I got started in real estate. For Jerry, I know he added this pillar to his business. I'm going to say after he spoke, after he talked to me and I showed him the light, I guess is what you could say. So You did, you did. Showed Jerry the light and now he is working with investors. And it's actually, I mean, he does really, really well with it too. So when I first got in the business, right out of the gate, to me, it made sense to work with investors. They're the people that are buying more properties, right? And so- Let's go after investors. But I got a terrible piece of advice from uh, from a veteran agent who said, oh, you don't want to work with investors. They're the worst. They just want you writing offers. You're just going to be writing offers and nothing ever gets accepted. They're not. They're never reasonable. And you know they're just looking for a great deal. You'll never get anywhere with investors. It's just a waste of time. That was the advice I had. And that was the advice I lived with for five years until Jacoby and I... Uh, went out to the Find and Flip Summit with Kent Clothier. And uh, that was in 2018. And within the first hour and a half session, my world was rocked. And I came out of that with a whole new game plan on how I was going to view working with investors. Yeah, I guess uh, for one, knowledge is knowledge is power, wisdom is power, and then applied applied. Uh techniques, I guess you could say, is also uh, power as well. Because if you get bad information, you'll take bad actions and you'll get bad results. I got started, you know, I started out as an investor. So for myself, I am an investor by by heart. And honestly, the pushback for investing or working with investors is I think it's kind of all the same. I remember when I uh, was talking with Andrea, letting her know I wanted to start this investor program that teaches you how to purchase properties and find properties at a discount and become a real estate investor. She was with some friends and she mentioned kind of what I was doing. And they were like, man, you can't find any good properties to invest in in Midland, Texas. And so the conventional wisdom around investing is not is not who you don't want to be listening to people who know nothing about investing is probably really what I want to say. And so you know, with that being said, everyone will probably tell you it's a bad idea because they don't know how to do it. But once you figure out how to become an investor or how an investor thinks, you realize that, man, this is one of the best skills you can have. One, being an investor and having an investor mindset. 
And then two, working with investors in your business can essentially either save your business or supplement and add on to it. The one thing that I heard at that uh, Find and Flip Summit that probably changed it all for me was that 50% of all transactions, and this is roughly plus or minus a little bit nationwide, 50% of all real estate transactions happen off the MLS. And I was an agent who thought that all the transactions were on the MLS. And then it turns out that half of them don't even touch the MLS. And so in our market at the time, we had like 16,000 agents. And I think we were were like 21,000 agents now. So 20,000 agents in in my market or in my MLS and we're fighting for 50% of the transactions when just a portion of that amount of people are fighting for the other transact, the other 50%. And so that just opened my eyes to, okay, I need to figure this out because there's a lot of deals on the other side of that fence that I'm not even getting to look at. My buyers don't get a chance at, I can't help people sell. You know, there's just everything that went into that. It just really opened, uh, it opened my eyes to like, okay, I need to take a look at this. Yeah, that's a really good perspective to uh, to know, right? So like I said, knowledge is power. And so if you realize that you're only getting 50% of the deals that are actually being transacted in your area, then that that opens up a whole new world, right? That's why I'm saying this is a pillar you need to add because essentially now you've got a whole set of deals that you can work out or you can plug into that ultimately have no competition at least from realtors, right? Or they they do have competition. So to say no competition isn't fair, but the competition is lower than it is for the deals that uh, realtors are coming up against. Plus there's a whole other set of of, uh, stats for this as well, right? So a lot of times we hear about all these stats about selling properties and all of that. Well, that comes from NAR, right? And those are only from the deals that are on the MLS. And so you open up a whole new ecosystem of deals and what you can actually do. And it's so much more creative, right? So you can create deals out of thin air, literally create opportunity out of thin air because of this one, let's just call it a lead source, right? Yep. And so I want to go back to that stat of 50% of the properties are sold off market. If you, I struggled with that. I was like, there's just no way. And so what I did at the time was I took and looked up how all the properties that sold in the MLS, like in a particular city. And then I just called that city and I asked the assessor how many property transfer affidavits were filed last year. And literally it was double. And so what you want to do is if you have, you know, if you want to look in your community, you want to find out what's going on, just hit that assessor up and find out how many property transfer affidavits got filed. And I don't know if that's just a Michigan term, the property transfer. I assume other states have that as well. You know, you guys file when you with the assessor's office on when you when you conduct a transaction. Yeah. So just to walk it back a little bit, every time a property changes hands, it's going to be filed at the courthouse, right? So every single record, just like when somebody's born or when somebody dies, yep. they're going to record that at the courthouse. So essentially what you're saying is is you went and you called your tax assessor because they're the ones who usually hold the data for transferring transferring title and, and all of that. Actually, it's the county assessor here, but them and the appraiser, they work together. So what you're saying, and so what I would say is this, the one thing you need to know is that 
all real estate and all the information for real estate is uh, recorded in the public records. So yep. you need to become an expert of public <laughs> records. Just because a property changed hands does not necessarily mean it got sold though, right? So it could have Correct. been somebody inherited the property or whatever else. But the point is, is that um, that is where you find those deals. And that is, yeah, that's how you find out if a property has changed hands or not. So yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yep. And so that was just, that was so shocking to me. The other thing, the other mistake that I made when uh, I talked to that veteran agent was they were, and then, and as a condition of what they said I did, I was lumping all investors into one bucket. They were just like investors and we didn't break down like what an investor meant. And so like, for me, it was the, okay, we're just not working with investors. And on the surface, that makes a ton of sense because a lot of, I mean, I have this conversation at least twice a week with people that are looking for properties. They're either an investor or they want to be an investor. It What they do is I tell them, oh yeah, we find deals and we find properties and days on the market starting to grow a little bit. So there's some deals out there and somebody will always say, hey, if you find a good deal, let me know. I'd be interested. And that bit of information means nothing because a good deal to you might not be a good deal to me. And the reason is people invest in real estate in a, in a lot of different ways. And so I think the biggest thing, if you're looking to invest in real estate, if you're looking to work with investors, the number one thing you have to know is what is that investor looking for? What is a good deal for that investor? What is it that they're looking for in a property? What type of property? What location? And how much equity do they want in it? And you need to figure out what it is makes a good deal for that particular investor, depending on how they're planning on investing in the property. So they just have to get clarity on what it is they're looking for. And so I always help investors walk through that. There's a, you know, you just start asking questions on like, what kind of return What do you want? What kind of cash do you have? Well, what time frame are you on? Is this a short term or a long term? And so once you start to get a lot of more information from the investor, you can help them develop a strategy for investing in real estate. Yeah, for sure. I want to go back to this, this thing about off-market properties or 50% being off-market here for just a little bit longer, right? Okay. So, And then we'll come back to finding out you know, how to help an investor and what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. The thing I'll say is, is just that I think every single property that I purchased, except for one, I purchased off-market, right? Because a lot of folks might not know how do you, what do you need in order to buy a property, right? Like what do you, what has to happen in order for you to buy a property or to transfer a property or whatever else? The the only thing you really need is a contract. And then uh, you write up a, a deed basically and a promissory note. If you're, if somebody's going to lend on it, you just take that down to the courthouse and record it, right? That's, that's literally all you need to do. You don't have to uh, go to a title company. You don't have to have a realtor. You don't have to have any of that, which was the, that was the other shocking thing for me, right? You can literally go down, write on a napkin and transfer a property from your name to somebody else's name, just like that, which is for me, mind blowing. That's like mind blowing. I could sell a house or I could transfer a house literally on a piece of paper and just take it down to the courthouse and it's done right then and there. 
Yeah, I've learned a lot about that, you know, how simple it is. And then uh, I've also learned that if it's not necessarily done right in title, that can create some problems in the future. Um, but that'd be something you want to talk to. And that's going to be a state by state. So talk to a title company. And I, in air quotes, I'm uh, saying an investor friendly title company because they're not all investor friendly. But yeah, so an investor friendly where they're used to, you know, looking at deals like this and you get that thing transferred and it, away you go. Yeah, that's exactly right. So every single property I purchased, except for one, has been off the MLS, right? Like we literally went down, we signed a contract. I always go to a title company to do it, but you do not need a title company to do that. You just need a lawyer, lawyer really that knows the laws. They'll draft it up and uh, it's done. I thought it had to be this long drug out ordeal. You got to have at least 30 days to get it done, but it's like, no. (laughs) If you want, it's like, man, do I know that you own this property outright? If I know that for sure, then I just sign it away and good to go. Just like a car. Mm-hmm. Away you go. So there's three, um, kind of going back to where you're saying you bought all the properties off market. And you know, I'm sure there's other ways, but really the three main ways that you can buy properties off market are one, uh, you can work with a wholesaler. By now, I think most people probably have heard what wholesaling is. Uh, in 2018, that was a term I hadn't heard. And that was the very first term that kind of changed, that turned this whole thing upside down for me was this idea of wholesaling and what that looked like. So you can work with wholesalers to buy properties off market. Uh, you can work with other investors. My personal favorite is I like working direct with seller. And the reason I like working direct with seller is most of the instances when you're buying a property off market, they have a huge set of hurdles that they have to overcome and you're able to come in and fix problems. And so right now in Michigan, the people that are behind on their taxes are in a little bit of hot water. And so in Michigan, you can be behind on your taxes up to three years, but on that, when that third year goes late, you are subject to foreclosure. So when that third year goes late, which is the end of February here for us, um, that's when people will start losing their property to back taxes. So those people have a you know a unique issue, and so we're going in. We're going to try to solve that issue for them. How and we take a look at the big picture. And so if you're working direct with a seller, um, you can look at their individual circumstance and try to help them navigate it. Work with them in the best way to get them out of their problem and make it a win-win. And that's what I love about real estate is in most instances. Uh, when you're an investor, there is a win-win. There's some place in that that's a win for both parties, that both parties can walk away happy uh, that the transaction took place. And on investing, if you can't come to that win-win, then you know most investors are happy to walk away from that transaction because it's not a good deal for them. So those are, again, just to re- reiterate, there's three main ways. Wholesale, investor, or direct-to-seller are the ways that you're going to find off-market properties. Yeah, so now pull bring that all full circle, right? So if if I'm a if I'm a realtor and I'm looking to uh, add this pillar to my business, how do how do uh, wholesalers come in? How do direct with investors come in? And how does direct with seller come in? Like, break it down for me on on uh, how I can add these to my business. Yeah, so I'll walk you through how I did it in 2018 when we left that event. I knew right away I wanted to work with investors, and so. I started asking around, and to me, this is the quickest, easiest way to become a part of this world. I started asking around who the 
best wholesalers were in our market. And I was talking to other investors and then I started to meet other wholesalers and how I started to meet other wholesalers where I went to RIAs, real estate investment meetings. And most communities have a RIA. We have a RIA and we also have a couple other groups that meet monthly. And so I started to go into all those meetings, meeting other investors and starting to acclimate myself to this world. And so I sought out who everybody thought was the most ethical wholesaler in our in, in our market and uh, I wanted ethical because there is some when it comes to wholesaling there is some there's some pretty sketchy guys out there or, you know groups out there they're engaging in some practices that I'm not you know I'm not fond of and I don't really want to be a part of and so I wanted somebody that I knew would be ethical reached out to them asked them the question hey when you meet with a fa- when you meet with a family you meet with a seller and you guys can't come to terms on a wholesale deal, but it's a good listing. What are you doing with that? And they're like, oh, we're not doing anything with it. And I said, well, okay, I'll give you 35% referral fee if you give me the opportunity to get that listing. It's set an appointment for me to go on the listing appointment. If I get the listing, we sell the house, I'll give you 35% referral fee. Now we can do that with them because that particular wholesaler was licensed. Uh, He has his real estate license. If you're going to pay a referral fee, they have to have a real estate license. But that's how I got started in this. And that worked out really well. Um, I listed probably, I'd have to pull the numbers because it's going back, but I'd say 15 to 20 properties in two years I listed for them. But in addition, it gave me a skill set for meeting with sellers that were in these scenarios. And so I got to start hearing stories and start working through problems. And then it also gave me opportunity to buy some of the properties off market because it ended up not being a house that we could list, typically based on time frame. And so I, that's the easiest way. Wholesalers are definitely the way to get started quickly in this. And as part of that, going to the investor meetings. That's good. That's good. So yeah. So oh, here's a little pro tip. If you're a real estate agent, go into an investor meeting. They don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> and as in they don't like realtors because they've all investors, all wholesalers have worked with a real estate agent that looks down on investors and wholesalers. The in that world, realtors have, you know, developed a reputation of being arrogant. And thinking they're the only way that real estate can happen is if you go with them. And so I say they don't like you. They do like you. You can't walk in the door acting like you know everything that they don't because there are some really smart people in that room when it comes to real estate. Yeah. So that's the uh, getting started with wholesalers. So Jerry started, you started out with uh, wholesalers first. I was running it back, you know, and the way I started out is I started with direct to sellers, right? So we said direct, mm-hmm. you said uh, wholesalers or, uh, buyers themselves or direct to sellers. And so I would say direct to sellers is the route I would go if I were going to be starting again. The reason why I say that is, number one, you can get the information for free, right? It's super easy to get all the information for people that are in what we call a distressed situation. And when you say a distressed situation, what you mean is that they've got a problem that they need solved. You know, it's like vanilla ice. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. And so you got to be vanilla ice to these sellers, right? A lot of times they have no clue what their options are is what the crazy thing is. And so when we say distressed sellers, there are a few of categories that these distressed sellers 
fall into, right? One is tax delinquent. The other is uh, pre-foreclosure. So you usually have, there are usually a couple of pre-foreclosure lists that are out there. And then one of the others, it's not super distressed, but uh, it's called an absentee owner, right? And so an absentee owner basically means the person is renting out their house. So on the tax roll, the person who owns the house, their address is not going to be the same as the address on the house. And that's how you find out if somebody's an absentee owner or not. And so a lot of times they rent their houses out or they move and they couldn't sell them. And so you will find someone who actually is ready to make a move or sell their property. Yeah, we and also so- use um, we use liens if somebody's got a lien on their property. So that's public record. You can pull a list of properties that have liens filed against them. And then another one that we've used a little bit, and I like to use this list and cross-reference it to another list, is city violations, code violations. If a property has, you know, consistently getting written up for like lawn or like an old shed or the roof needs to be replaced or something that there's a code violation. If you start cross-referencing those code violation to pre-foreclosure, if you get somebody that's on two of the list and they're, they're more likely to sell. And just so you know, like I started with wholesalers, but this is where we're at now. We're direct to seller as well. For sure. You know, going directly to the seller, you you find these folks on these distressed lists or on these lists. These are folks who are more than likely are needing to sell or they want to sell, right? And so what I would do is just it's a simple conversation too. You just literally go up to the the person, you can either market to them or you can, you know, it's easy to find folks' information now. Uh, you talk to the individual and you just ask them, hey, do you have a solution? to this problem that you're having. And then you need to have answers to their problem. You need to be able to help them solve the problem that they have. The key thing that I'm going to say here is that the concept of this is very, very easy, but the psychological portion of it is very, very hard, right? Because you would think, man, somebody's about to lose their house to, uh, it's going to be sold on the courthouse steps because they're delinquent on their taxes. And I go and I offer them some money to actually sell the property. You're like, man, that's a no brainer. There would be something that I would do. It's rather than me being embarrassed, uh, having, you know, the constable come out, someone take all my stuff, putting it on the front of the front lawn, having it thrown away. At least I can get some money for my property and then also leave the property on my terms. Like that would be a no brainer. But what you'll come to find out is, is that these folks have a lot more problems than just than just their home that they're losing. There's relationships involved. There's sentimental value with the house. A lot of times these are places where people, you know, they raise their kids in these houses, their grandma owned the house or something like that. And so there's a lot of attachment and psychological, emotional effects that come with it as well. And there's trust issues because you, you're most sellers are in a scenario they've never been in before. They don't know how the process works. They don't know who you are. They don't know if they can trust you or just you just trying to take advantage of a bad situation. And the big thing, like when I got foreclosed on in 2012, obviously highly stressful time period of my life. I had no idea that that world existed. We were literally walking through the only process, the only option I had at the time. If somebody had come to me, I don't know if I would have believed them or if I would have been able to step outside of where I was at because being that was so stressful, it's that kind of saying you can't see the forest because of the tree in front of you. And that was 
how I was living my life at that time. And so you have to, you've got to have a good message. You have to have a good, you have to be somebody that wants to help people as well. <laughs> like that, that's the biggest thing about the off-market stuff where I found the most success is we're walking in scenarios and we're helping people. We're helping them walk through that. We're helping them not just with the, okay, we're going to give you pay you cash and we can close next week. We're helping them solve problems. And in how we've done some of that, like some of the things that we've done and being a problem solver is you got to get creative. And like we were purchasing one lady's house and we knew when the closing had to be because she was going to lose the house if we didn't close then. But she had like four cats and she was moving to Arizona and she had all her stuff. And so then we started to figure out, you know, how's this all going to work? And so we had to help her logistically. And so she ended up getting like, her nephew, who was going to be heading out to Arizona. So we rent, you know, we gave them the funds to rent the truck. He was taking the cats and she was having some health issues. So she didn't want to go on a two day car ride. So we bought her airline ticket. It got down to just not solving the house issue. It came down to we need to solve the seller's issue as well. And in addition to that, she needed to be in the house for three additional months. We held some money in escrow outside of closing, and then she stayed in the house for that time frame. And that one all worked out. But all those pieces were moving so quickly for her, and we just had to kind of work through them one at a time and figure it out and become a solution guy. Yeah, you need to have solutions to to people's problems. And as you talk to more and more people, you're going to start to add more and more solutions to your tool belt. So the question is, Really, the first question I always ask the person I'm talking to is like, what do you want to have happen? You know, and most of the time people are like, well, I want to keep my house. I want to stay in my house, you know, and so you got to have solutions for that. One solution could be it's like, okay, well, you know, we might be able to purchase your home and you still be able to live in it and pay us rent and then possibly buy it back, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, do some type of owner finance or something like that. And so you've got to figure out what people want and uh, be able to provide them with a solution. And trust is is exactly right. Trust is the biggest thing because they are in a bad situation. I've got a guy right now I'm talking to, and he's been in foreclosure for, I don't know how, he's been in foreclosure since I believe it's this summer. And I called him and I said, hey man, I can help you. We can get this whole thing figured out. All you need to do is just let me know you want to move forward and we can actually stop the foreclosure process for you. I don't think he believes me is, is kind of the thing. It's like I'm talking to him and he's like, oh, I got to go to work. I got to do this. And we had a meeting scheduled and then he canceled it. And so it's like, man, you know, you don't want this foreclosure on your on your credit report, or at least I don't think you do. And we have a really good solution to be able to help you. And so Sometimes it's you can build that trust with people and then sometimes you can't. You know what I mean? And so trust is one of the biggest trust and then a desire for actually wanting to move forward. Also, don't assume because we have these assumptions like, well, nobody's ever going to sell it for that price or nobody is ever going to sell it off market. Why wouldn't they just list it? These are all conversations I've had. And we had this one transaction where I was happy to be showing a house for my brother in a town that I'm not, I'm not in very often called Romulus. And I was showing a house for him, met his client there. And I was coming out, like I'm driving by this house and the grass was literally two feet tall in the front yard. And there was a guy standing in the driveway. So boom, I pulled in the driveway. I'm like, oh, is this your house? He's like, yeah. 
And I'm like, well, you guys interested in selling it? He goes, well, we had it under contract with an investor, but he's trying to get us to drop the price after we're already under contract. And to me, that that screams, okay, he's got it under contract with a wholesaler. And when you get in this, you'll kind of figure that out. And I'm like, well, are you interested in taking an offer on it? And he goes, yeah, we would love to. So I literally, we walked through it right there. And he goes, well, you're going to have to talk to my wife. So from that driveway, I drove to their house and sat down and met with the wife and said, okay, give me a day and I'll put some numbers together for you. So I met with him the next day. And as we're sitting there having this conversation about what they're looking for, it was a rental. The rental went bad. They tore the house up real bad. The city was on them because the grass and, you know, they didn't want to be a landlord anymore. And so we worked a deal out a price. And as we're talking, I'm trying to figure out if there's like any seller finance options. Are they willing to loan? And she, I, so I'm asking them what they need. And literally this is what she says. She goes, right now I need $5,000 because I want to fly out and visit my daughter and kids in Vegas for three months. I'm like, so you want five grand? And she's like, yeah, that's what we need right now. And so that allowed me, as we're talking, I made the offer of like 65,000 and these numbers might not be exact. I'd have to go back, but I made the offer like 65 and she's like, well, I really want 75. And I'm like, well, we can do 75. If you let us do 75, we'll give you 10,000 down and you sell or finance the rest until we sell it. Cause we were going to fix and flip this one. So she sell or finance the 65. We gave her 10,000 and she got the price she wanted. We solved the problem and then gave her additional funds. And then we were able to finance it with her until we ended that transaction. And that all happened within 24 hours. And so don't assume, you know, that's kind of an outlier, but don't assume you know what the people want because you just need to figure out what their problem is. Creating deals out of thin air. And that's uh, that goes back to uh, what you said about investors not liking realtors. That's what I would say. It's not that they don't like realtors. It's the fact that a lot of times realtors they stay in the box. And the thing we think is that the only thing a seller wants is the most money for a house. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, we are fiduciaries. We're, we're to do what's in the best interest of the person that we're representing. And sometimes getting the most money isn't in their best interest or in, the, in their interest at all. It might just be like, hey, this is the biggest headache I've got. I had a guy, he inherited a property from his friend. He inherited a property from his friend and it was behind on the mortgage. And he was like, man, I just want to get rid of this thing. He's like, I don't even care. He didn't even want to make any money on it. He didn't want to have to pay to come out of pocket, but he's like, I don't want to make any money. He's like, I do not care. I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And so for somebody that stress is enough for them to, (laughs) I've even seen people come out of pocket to get rid of something, right? So it's like, man, you need to figure out, you need to be asking the questions that really answer what you said. It's like, do you truly want to help people? And when you start helping people, you start asking the right questions when you truly care about someone and what they need. And then that's how you make a lot of money, right? It's like they said, uh, if I help enough people get what they want, then I can get what I want essentially. And so knowing what someone's interests are, not just the fact of, oh, they want the most money. Because I've had a realtor tell me that. They're like, oh, well, that's not in their best interest. They're not getting the most money for the home. And in my head, I say, well, you're not doing your job because you don't know what the interest of, of your client is. Yeah. We, had a one, we had another one uh, met with her 
And I thought it was a great property to list. And that's how we went in with the idea. My conversation was to list. And then we're looking around the house and she was, uh, she had been there 30 years. She'd lived there with her mom. Her mom passed away. She was older. She needed to be closer to her son. So I met with her and her son. And then like, there was so much stuff in the house. And then, I mean, literally when you went to the basement, there was like a pathway, like literally a two foot wide pathway. And other than that, it was floor to ceiling stuff, boxes. I'll bet you she had 200 cases of water. Like it was crazy. Like it was, so it was just full of stuff. And then there was just old stuff that wasn't worth anything. And so as I'm talking to them, there's no way that she can physically do that. The son has no time, lives like a half hour away. He works, has a family. And so he can't take that on. And so as we're talking, we're trying to figure out the problem. And she says, you know, I just need $25,000 down. And the house is worth like one. I think we paid one thirty-six dollars for it. She, I need $25,000 down to get the mobile home I want. And it's going to be like a mile from my son's house. And, and we need it by next week or we're going to lose the one we have. And I'm like, okay. I can get you the price. And I did that again. Uh, we'll give you the 25000 down. And then you take out of the house whatever you want and leave everything else. And right there, that's the sun. I don't even know if the price would have mattered to the sun at that point. When I said, you take whatever you want out of the house and leave everything else. That was the game changer for him. So he got her the price, got her the $25,000 down. And we took care of everything in the property. And so like these families are looking at these scenarios where houses are full of stuff and they don't know what to do with it. To me, that's literally a six hour issue. I mean, I'll have that house emptied before two o'clock on the day I take the house over because I'll have the dumpster lined up and I'll have the crew lined up. So take whatever you want of value and leave the rest and we'll handle it all. And that's exactly you know, what we did in that scenario. So we actually gave her 30,000 down because we wanted to help her. They were going to need movers. And so we gave her the 25 for the down payment, gave her an additional five, and then she seller financed the rest until we were done with the flip. But that was digging in and finding out what the problem was. I've never seen houses with so much stuff in them in my life until I started doing, uh, doing investor deals. Six, this house, because I still remember six 30 yard dumpsters and it was an 1100 square foot house. Yeah, it's like, man, there's people and their stuff is just wild. It's like rather than having a trash can, they just throw it in a room. It's so it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then so uh, moving this thing forward a little bit, we were talking about um, working with investors. Right. And so if you have an investor or someone's someone will come along to you and the the number one thing people say is if you have a good deal, then let me know. And so the key thing here is. You were you really want to work with when I say I'm working with investors, honestly, you know, my working with inve- I haven't I'm not working with as many as I had in the past. That's how I started my real estate career. But uh really what it came down to is I probably had about three investors really that I worked with, right? And the things that I looked for when I was working with an investor is number one, they need to have a criteria. So the investor that I talk with someone that's serious and they're really serious about buying properties and they know you can help them, they're not going to tell you, hey, when you come across a good deal, let me know. What they're going to know is they're going to know exactly what they buy because and what they're, they're you're going to ask them that question. You're going to say, okay, well, what are you looking for? 
And what they're going to do is they're going to go in the back of their brain. They're going to reach back there and they're going to find all the properties that they have purchased in the past. And they're basically going to describe those properties to you. It's going to be, you know, between a certain price range, you know, it's going to be like, oh, well, and if they don't know, because sometimes investors will do that too, they'll be like, well, I'll buy anything if it's a good deal. So now the question, the second level question you need to ask is, is, well, what's either, what's the last property you bought or what do, where are most of your properties at? And that's going to tell you what they're looking for. And then what you're going to do is, is when that property comes available or one similar to that property, you're going to know that you can call this investor in order to come take a look at it. And so you want to know their criteria. Number two is you want to know their financing. You want to know that they can actually close on a deal because wanting to be an investor and being an investor are two totally different things. I know probably everyone I talk to loves the idea of passive income, loves the idea of flipping a house, but they just, they either never done it or they don't have the ability to do it. So you need to know that they can actually close on a transaction. They can make decisions and they know what they're looking for. That's why you want to have those two uh, criteria there whenever you're talking to your investor. Yeah. And just as long as they have clarity, like I've got one investor that he knows what he wants. He knows there's certain streets he doesn't want to be below or around. And he knows the what his return on his rents are going to be. And he knows that he he does minimum of three bedrooms and it has to have a garage or a basement, one or the other. And like, so now I know that's the deal he's looking for. And so it's easy. Like I've had a house with him where I met with the seller and this was going to be an off market transaction because the house needed uh, quite a bit of work, but I met with the seller and the whole time I'm talking to the seller, I know who the buyer is. And so I'm meeting with the seller. We come up with a number Okay, let me go call my partner, went out to the truck, called the investor and said, hey, I've got this deal coming together. Are you interested? And he said, yeah. And so on that day, I had it signed from the seller. I had it under contract from the seller and I heard a purchase agreement in hand all within hours because I had clarity on what the investor wanted. And that was the that was a, the big key there. Yeah. So whenever you go and you talk to someone, let's say you find someone, a seller who's looking to sell their property and they've got a price in mind and you already know what your investor is looking for. You you should have a good idea of what they would pay for the property for. Right. And so that's usually that's usually what I did. I had these three investors. I had one investor. He would literally buy anything as long as the numbers work. And I had another investor. He only wanted to be in certain areas. And so I would say, OK, I know he's probably going to be around this price. And so I say, hey, you know, I've got an investor that'll come. We'll make you, he'll actually make you an offer today. And I think we're pretty close. And so what I would do is I just, I'd bring my investor by. He had already agreed to pay my commission. And so whenever uh, we made these offers to these sellers, my commission was already involved because the buyer was going to pay my commission, which all he did is just factored that into his evaluation of the property. And so you come in, you let them know the offer. And a lot of times it's good to go. And then here's the other thing. You've got options, right? Let's say your, your investor makes their offer and they're like, no, nah, just, it just doesn't work. Well, you can still list the property, right? At least for, for me, I'm, I'm still willing to list the property. I'm like, hey, well, it sounds like you want to get more because all the investors are going to be right around the same price, right? They're not, yep. It's not like one investor is going to be way higher and one investor is going to be way lower. These guys that are investors, they're not they're not going to put themselves in a bad situation. And so that's what I tell them. I say, hey, I can bring more investors in here, but they're going to be close to the same price. 
So why don't we list it? If you don't get anything on the listing, at least you've got this offer in your back pocket, right? And so that's a win-win for everybody. You get a listing, the uh, seller actually already got an offer on their property, and now they're actually getting to put the uh, the house on the uh, on the open market to see if they can get something better. Now you've got to be good about explaining closing as well, because you know your buyer can close, which has value to it that a lot of times sellers don't even don't even know about, right? They think, okay, I'm going to get the highest price. That's all I need. And then just like the example you gave is the guy had it under contract and now he wants to negotiate the price again, right? So those are all little things that you've got to figure out how to get in front of in order to make these deals really good for sellers and for buyers. Yeah. And when it comes to investors, kind of go to like, what is an investor? And typically you have like how I did it. I told you, I, I went and got in with wholesalers to learn the game. And one of the things that I had to do is when we first started the relationship, when I went to them, I was trying to get in to do their listings, kind of forgot about this part. I went to him and said, hey, when you're listing something, I knew he was an agent and I knew he didn't like doing agent work. Like he didn't like being a realtor. He didn't like dealing with other agents. And so I said, when you go to list a property, I'll do it for $1,500 commission. Well, 3% on the uh, buyer side, but I'll do it for a flat 15. And I didn't care what the property was. And so we did that for three or four properties. And that's how I worked my way into being able to list properties, you know, and trying to find the deals that they couldn't wholesale or they couldn't get under contract, but the seller still needed to sell. And so I started getting those leads as referrals. And so there's that. I was working with the wholesaler. The other type of investor I worked with um, is my partner on properties we flip. And so as we started finding, pro as I started finding properties that I thought were good flips, I wanted a partner on those. And so I went and found a partner to flip with. And he and I, in the last three years, have flipped 11 houses. And I have come out of pocket with zero money on any of them. And so my value was I bring the deal and a lot of the expertise. And then he brings the, the finances. And then we both share in dealing with contractors. And so we have found, I found something that, you know, I found an investor who my skill set lined up with. And the, so understand, and here's where I see a lot of agents don't put enough value on the deal. The deal is, for most investors, the deal is the hardest thing for them to find. It's not the money. Sometimes for the agent side, money is the issue, right? Agents are looking for money. So if you find somebody that has money, the deal has a lot of value to them. And so I worked with the wholesaler, worked with my flip partner, and then probably my favorite is for me, buy and hold investors, investors that are looking for properties to rent. Uh, they want to turn them into rentals. And I think this is right now how our market is. This is the easy, these are the easiest deals to find. And so I've worked with a handful of out-of-state investors. Uh, I've got some uh, a good investor that Jacoby connected me with. Uh, he's referred me to a couple people. And then right now I'm under contract with an investor out of New York. And that is, uh, I think, going to lead to something well because he wants multiple properties and he has friends that want properties. And so we're going to leverage that. I just need to make these first couple deals work. And how that came about was that was in the airport lounge in Palm Springs after the Tony Robbins event. Uh, was in there, met a couple guys. We just started talking and kind of figuring out what we all do. And they're like, oh, if you have any good deals, let me know. And that was the conversation. I go, well, what's a good deal? And so we started to run the numbers that they were looking for buying holds, what they wanted their numbers to look like. And I said, I could do that. 
came home, found him a deal. We're under contract. Really good. Really good. And so to wrap this up, I think probably the good thing to say is, is what is an investment, right? So if you're working with an investor, what's the difference between a, you know, retail sale and an investment sale? And the thing I would say is usually an investor, it's got to have something that it's got to be below market value, or it's got to be something that you can have some forced appreciation to bring some value to the property, right? If, if that's not the case, then an investor is probably not going to buy it because an investor is not looking, they're looking to make money. They've got to make money. And in order for something to be able to make money, it's got to be below the market value, add to it so you can bring it up to the value. And there has to be a spread in between there, right? And so that's what you're looking for. Don't just start sending investors properties on the MLS, right? And so it's like, oh, you're an investor. You're looking for a good deal. All right. Let me just start sending you stuff. You know, let me just start sending you listings off the MLS. You need to be, you need to be, uh, you need to do your homework. You need to do your work and see what properties have opportunities in them and where these guys can actually start to uh, make offers and uh, make some money. So closing it up, you got anything to add to that or anything to bump on or what did we didn't, we didn't talk about? What did we not talk just, about? You know, I re reiterate and to piggyback on what you were just saying, you just have to know what is a good deal to the investor. So don't just send them houses, send them houses, you know, meet the criteria of what they're looking for. And you got to have a good understanding of that hit up meetups. That's a great way to start learning the language, start seeing who the players are in the game uh, another one is huge in the investor off-market world is Facebook groups. I'm sure there is a, I'm sure if you went on Facebook and searched Midland off-market, there'd be four or five groups that pop up. They're all over my area. So those are great ways to connect. And then uh, in the Facebook groups, you see who are active. Yeah, you see the uh, sellers or wholesalers that are active and then ask them to go to lunch. And I do, I have found out that a lot of investors like lunches. It's pretty easy to get them to meet with you, especially if they think that you can provide them with a deal. And just flipping through the notes here. Yeah. And just be open to it. Think outside of the box. And then also make sure that you're staying compliant. That's a big one. As an agent, you want to stay compliant, having conversations with your brokers, have a conversation with us, You know, reach out to us and we'll kind of walk you through that. There's some brokers uh, that I have found do not have a good handle on this part of the market or even what necessarily is compliant. And so if you have a broker that's completely opposed to this side of the business, you know, I'm open to have a conversation with you. I'm sure Jacoby is and uh, start working through what some of those problems are. I think this is a really, really important part of my business this year. Uh, I'm going to supplement, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, inventory is an issue. And, you know, they're talking, we're going from like, Two years ago, 6.2 million houses sold to five and a half to like some people are calling for 4.9 million being sold this year. And so as there's going to be fewer sales, more agents, these off-market properties are really going to be huge to keep that ball rolling for us. Yeah. So like we said, 50% of the deals are done off-market. So if um, if sales are going to be chopped in half, like we're saying then you're going to need to find inventory and transactions somewhere. And this is the way to find it. And so what I would say is if you made it this far on the podcast, if you reach out to me personally, for sure, and you want to start working with investors, I can help you. We can help you find an investment deal tomorrow. 
I've got a, we've got actions you can take. You'll literally have someone to talk to tomorrow. Shoot us a message or give us a call or anywhere you can message us. You can find us anywhere, right? On all of the social media platforms or whatever else and say, hey, I want a deal tomorrow. If you shoot that over to us, we'll let you know exactly how to do that. Man, you're going to have your mind blown if you're not already working in this space, right? So that's it for this episode, the Epic Agent Success. As always, we always love a good five-star rating and review. If you ever, if you got any uh, value from this episode, and then you can also catch us in our Facebook group on uh, Epic Agent Success. So we'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Epic Agent Success Podcast. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've received value today, we hope you'll give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget, we love sharing our experiences and offering tips to agents looking to grow. So come join us on our Facebook page, the Epic Agent Success Podcast, and stay connected.